You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera and everything in between, if you have a piece of hunting gear or a piece of hunting equipment that needs a battery, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. You can go to a local retail store. Or you can go visit online at interstatebatteries.com. They have thousands of local retail shops all over the U.S., so you can go there as well. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Land and Legacy podcast. This is your number one host for all things land. We're your hosts, Matt Dye. And Adam Keith. Appreciate you guys listening along. We hope you sit back and enjoy all the topics revolving around hunting, habitat management, conservation, and land stewardship. All right, guys, welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. This is your host, Matt Dye, and we've got an awesome podcast for you guys today. You know, we've talked a lot in the past about real estate and how Adam and I both have a license and the value that real estate has and just all these different things about land and we also talk about habitat non-stop and so today's podcast we're bringing back on Mr. Todd Watts from Ohio returning guest and we're kind of talking about a unique position that he has been in uh, over the last couple months and wanted to share it with you guys because there's a lot of really, really good points that, as land, as many people are landowners, can take from, you know, what kind of your experiences have been, Todd. There, and I think that it's it's going to be pretty eye-opening to see, um, you know, if, if you find yourself in the same situation, situation, what mistakes to avoid, and then what it is you want to do, and some of the common kind of pitfalls of let's say selling a piece of recreational land and getting the most out of that piece of recreational land so todd watts are you with us i am here awesome thanks for having me hey you're you ought to know by now you're welcome on this podcast whenever you want you just a lot of times in the past i guess i've called you but time you just call me and be like hey i got something to talk about and we'll, we'll just have you on again because i think a lot All of right. people have enjoyed um following along the podcasts and um kind of let's say your past as a um landowner of the hogan because that's what we're talking about today is the hogan and congratulations to you has recently been sold new owners took um possession of the farm 
not too long ago. I know it's been a, let's say, a ride, a roller coaster, a bittersweet moment for you. So I'll kind of hand it over to you and kind of let you talk a little bit about um, the last few months as as that transition kind of took place with the bittersweetness, let's say, particularly of the whole transaction. Because if anyone has listened to the other podcast with Todd, obviously this place is, is super special. Todd, you poured a lot into it. Um, those who follow you on Facebook and and I think we've we've made mention as as well through the podcast and everything that that this property was going to be listed and offered um, for for um, purchase to new buy new owners let's say so how has that process been for you? Well, it's a great question, Matt. Uh, it, it's been. It, it, as most know, if anyone's listened to any of our other podcasts, uh, there was a lot of a lot of effort, me, a lot of everything put into the farm. And and initially, the farm was what I thought was going to be, uh, you know, a place I, I probably had for many many more years. Sure. But at the same time, family situations and so forth dictated that that uh, you know my for example my wife didn't enjoy the farm near as much as i did and mm-hmm. and so we we and we're at a stage of our lives where you know we want to do things together and so forth so it, it it was best for us that we find things we both enjoy doing not find things that only todd enjoyed doing and that's only sure. fair to her in our relationship which we have a wonderful and I, have, I have a wonderful wife so it, it's been bittersweet because also on the good side of it the family that bought the farm is just fantastic. I oh, really, yeah. really enjoy them. They're really good people. They absolutely love the farm, and they're wanting to make it their permanent home. They've actually moved there. They're going to live there. Awesome. Whereas for me, it was just a it was a place to go to, and and enjoy. But they're actually they moved. That's their only residence, and they're just happy. They've, they have several children, and from ages like five up to I think twenty something. And they're catching fish, they're seeing deer, and they're just absolutely loving it. And they're wanting to carry on the exact same plan that you and I and we and everyone involved with the Hogan has had over the last three to four years. So they're going to be good stewards of the land. So it's been sad, but it's also been I'm happy. You know, yes. I'm happy for them. No doubt. Because I think I think they're going. I, I really believe that they're going to be able to enjoy the farm even more than I did mm-hmm. because their whole family loves it. And, and so, you know, so I, it's been, it's been interesting. Yeah, yeah. As, as you know, we'll get into this more here in, a, in the next few minutes, but as that family, let's say identified, this is the property that they wanted to purchase and they began to talk and you guys began to develop mm-hmm. a relationship with each other. Um, and, and we then communicated about it as well it did not take long at all to realize that I think that family was the perfect fit for this. And it was that perfect transition, honestly, for you, a person who really had poured so much into the farm, but you were able just to sit there and watch this family full of excitement come in and just begin to, let's say, love that farm, love the things that you had done to the place 
And, and ultimately, you're a very giving person, Todd, and you like to share things with people. Uh, when, when Adam and I came in and um, well, I guess when well, shoot, when you hosted the QDMA Steward 2 course there at the property just, just in September, you know, you're allowing people to come and learn on your place. You enjoyed that aspect of it, and everyone else did too, and we're certainly appreciative of it. But even when we're fishing there at the pond, like, you just love to enjoy that, and and now you're able to sit back and and watch these family of kids and the dad and whatever just enjoy time around Lake Mickey and catch yeah. fish and just let's just say past that they're not they're not family to you, but it's still a different type of passing it down to the next owners. Right. Well, you know it, it it's funny it, it's. As any of the people who have listened to the past podcast, Lake Mickey, for example, is, is the four-acre lake that we built from scratch. It was an old hayfield, mm-hmm. and it had been my 17- or 18-year dream to build a lake. And I had studied and read and learned about how to build the perfect bass pond for many, many, many years. And we were able to do it with Lake Mickey, and it's been it's, – it's far exceeded all expectations. But anyway, um, you know, I – of course, I stocked it only two and a half years ago. Well, two years and three months ago at this point. And so when we stocked it, the biggest bass in there was about three quarters of a pound. I think we did stock one one pounder, but pretty much everything was less than a pound. Well, I caught a five and a half pounder this spring. Now, here's the reason I tell you that. Well, my personal best, I had caught a six pound bass once before at my previous farm years and years and years ago. And that was my personal best. So I always was very excited about the fact that I was going to be able to surpass my personal Mm -hmm. record of six pounds on Lake Mickey, because there's no doubt, I believe we're going to have the state record on Lake Mickey, but I won't own it then, but <laughs> I'm thoroughly convinced of that, that the, with the growth rates we have and the F1 Tiger bass we stock, it's fantastic. Well, anyway, there, here's what I'm getting at. He texted, the new owner texted me the other day and said his five-year-old son caught his first ever bass by himself at two and a half pounds. Awesome. He also texted me that, that, his son caught a bluegill, his same five-year-old son caught a bluegill. And as the bluegill was coming up, the biggest bass they'd ever seen came up and almost ate that bluegill. Oh, wow. And then he texted me a little while later and said his, his, his son, or I believe it was son and his friend or someone, had already caught two, bound, two bass over six pounds. Oh, man. I was not able to basically get my dream of breaking my personal record of six pounds, mm-hmm. but they did. Oh, yeah. And they did it only... 10 days after they owned it. So, <laughs> so cool. even though I didn't get to fulfill that, right. that little six pound mark, now, and I know a six pound bass is not the world famous bass, but, but you have to understand this is two and a half years after stocking. Right, right, right. And, and that, that just meant something to me because sure. even though I didn't get to enjoy that, they did. Yeah. And that, that, that was really cool. Absolutely. That was really cool. No doubt. I, I think it's super special. It's super special that, again, you were able to, to build that relationship with them as, the, as they're taking ownership of the farm. And now, even afterwards, uh, we talked pre-recording, you know, you're going to be out there later this weekend kind of helping and, and showing some yeah. cool parts yeah. of the farm. And, and uh, that, that's just awesome. I, I, I think um, building that relationship is definitely a good thing for, for that family and then for you as well. Um, but anyhow, let's, let's, let's get back into sure. the, the podcast and the podcast is, is just centered, centered around looking at recreational land 
and right. getting the most out of it. Because there's, there's again, a lot of people listening along this week who have and own recreational land, whether they're going to pass it down to their son or family or it's been in the family for, let's say, however many generations, um, at some point, you know, they might have to look at selling the property. Maybe there's not anyone else to pass down to, or they just, they want to move up in size of a property. And, you know, if, if anyone gets on the old interweb and, and looks at land, which I think we're probably all just guilty of it. Um, it's like looking through Bass Pro Shops the couple months before deer season. You start picking out all the things you want. And you, you look on la- online, look at land. You're just scrolling through all these properties. Like, oh, I could do this here and this here and that there and whatnot. I think we've all we've all been there. Um, but when you when you look, you quickly realize there's a ton of listings out there, and they're all look about the same or they all have mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the same general components to them. You know, you often see, I shouldn't say often, you always will see properties that are listed that are just raw land. They may not have a house on them, but they're always marketed uh, big buck paradise or wildlife haven or hunter's dream or something these catch words and and buzz words that everyone wants to click on and look at um but when you look at them you might say oh that's a nice property and then then you go back to the page and you look and you see you click down oh there's another one that's worded very similarly and you look at it and it's got a lot of the same features but you go you go let's say to the third page and you find a, just a raw piece of land that isn't marketed towards that. And it's just a random piece of land. You're like, well, my gosh, that's got the same components. Yep. They're all that's the right. same or, or they tend to be all the same. And, and if you're in that position where you have land now and you don't want when your property gets listed to fall in the, let's just say status quo rural land um, marketplace, you have to do something different and you have to be able to know where to add value to a property to be able to get that price per acre value or increase the general overall value of a property, increase it to make it stand out. Because if you're in an area, let's just pick a random state. Let's just say Kentucky. There's generally a lot of tracts of land for sale in Kentucky that any hunter would like to entertain and look at right you can go right. really to any portion of western kentucky and just be like oh uh, let's, what's the county out there um like crittenden county or uh it doesn't matter you just pick a county and um there's going to be all those types of land the way they're marketed you have your run-of-the-mill rural land or the hunter's dream again they're all they're all the same but what happens when you when you beforehand identify that and say i want something more i want my property to stand out beyond that from just the way it's marketed but the features that that property has and know that a lot of times buyers don't have the ability from either a time or a knowledge standpoint to manage that property in the way that it should be managed Right. So I guess let's let's look at the two different situations. Sure. Is sure. you got raw land, someone's like, Oh, okay, I'll pay X for that, but then it's gonna take me, 
years of time to develop it and knowledge and equipment to develop it into what I want it to be. Do I want to purchase that or do I want to purchase the one that's already done, done really, really well, but I'm going to pay a little bit more for it. But I could just go ahead and just buy it right now and just pick up where that owner left off. And I'm already there. I don't have to wait years to develop. A lot of people like the process, but even if you like the process, we all know that the process, you're never done with it. You're always managing it. You might not be doing the initial, let's say, creation or development, but you're still managing that property. So I think that that then brings us into, Todd, what did the Hogan look like when when you bought it? And then then what did it look like when, okay – it hit the market and it didn't sure, last on sure. the market very long at all. And that's no, the whole didn't. point that we're, yeah. what we want to get to later in the podcast is guys, there's a right way to do this and there's a wrong way to do this. And it all starts yeah. with a plan of attack and putting your time and energy resources into things that are going to have the return mm-hmm. on the sale of that property. Sure. Absolutely. Well, um, I want you to hold that question okay. for just a moment because I want to step back just a minute just to put something into context. But hold that question. Ask me that, that exact question in, in just a minute. I okay? can't remember what I asked you 30 seconds ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll, well, get there. we'll just we'll flow with it. Let me say that. Let's put a little bit of this into context. Um, I, you know, my buyer listens to your podcast, by the way, and I believe he's going to continue hiring you also. Awesome. He will probably listen to this podcast, so I want to make sure that I respect enough of his privacy Absolutely. and so forth. But but also want to talk a little bit about our bias so we can put this into context for the listeners, okay? Yep. Without giving any figures or anything like that. Let's look. Oh, I know the question. You said, what did the Hogan look like before? Yes. And yes. we'll get to that because that's where it's interesting. Um. But, but let's let's step back a minute so that we can put into context. Uh, we, our the Hogan, was listed for two weeks, and it was a full price offer after two weeks. And that was this this summer. Yes, was this it was summer. listed. I yep. believe it was somewhere around the end of July. We had an offer within two weeks, full price. Right. And that doesn't happen on 600 acre tracks or this was 562 but you know let's just call an average of 600 mm-hmm. in a in a rural area that that that's just not what happens and uh we had we actually had two very interested parties that were that were calling and saying well if this falls through we want to come and possibly buy the farm so we had three prospective buyers uh and fortunately for me i really liked the buyer that bought it and i'm glad it worked out and it, it, it's been fantastic for them which we already mentioned that right so i think that's the context we need to put that in so that the buyers know that that you know how do you i, I think the question is how do you get a property to get get a contract on in two weeks now first of all you have to have the perfect buyer and and and, and this these this family was they are the perfect buyer and i like them a lot they really fit the farm but more importantly forget it that it's two weeks but how do you not have something sit for four or five years and not be able to sell it to put again into context there's another farm that's actually slightly bigger that's within 20 minutes of my farm well used to be my farm the hogan that actually the house is a little bigger and it has a pool and it still has a lake they started out at 
well, I'll just, I'm not divulging what we sold ours for. They can look that up online. It's available. I'm sure you can find it if you look. They started out at $3 million, and now here it is three and a half years later. Now there's is listed for less than what I sold mine for full price in two weeks. And, and so they right, can't that's sell that, it. That's that comparing property of yeah, similar right. size, a little bit better on, on some some right. occasions. But it's it's the fact of that property. Who is it appealing to? You know, right. it's not appealing to the guy who needs a property done. Let's let's say full turnkey, and and I I say that, and I I guess I mean that term because we've done podcasts where I think we've talked about all the stuff to weed through in in the real estate marketing terms and that's one of them but legitimately that that farm isn't full turnkey from a hunting aspect because it doesn't have that managed habitat it's got a lot of awesome key components but it's it's from a marketing standpoint it's weird that it's falling within like these it's trying to overlap some let's say key buyers and it's not all you know one or it's not all the other and so right. it's well, sad. and Matt, it, it has to be recreational too, not just hunting. That's, yes. that's another key Yes, is that it truly has to be a recreational farm. And, and, and I didn't give that background and that when I said, give, give a reference to what we're talking about. Uh-huh. I didn't say those things like two weeks on the market to brag. That's not the reason no. I want the, the reason I mentioned that. And the reason I mentioned a comparable farm is because this whole podcast is about how do you recreate this on your farm? In other words, how do you, how do you, if you do decide to sell someday, get full price for your farm? So the listeners have to know the context about what we're talking about. And not only get full price, but get full price on a already increased land value because of what's been added to it. Correct, and, and so it's not just your your typical raw land price. That in my neck of the woods, down southwest Missouri, you know, you can buy land at thousand to fourteen hundred dollars an acre. It's not just that. Okay, here's where your raw land typically falls. This is already priced above because of the enhanced features. Then on top of that, short sale, a lot of attention, a lot of calls, full price offer in two weeks. That's that's and, the difference that we're yeah. talking about. And this is not, and as you know, because you've been here, this is not in a in a real up and coming area. This is a depressed area. This is an area where there's not very many jobs. There's not. Right. right. The, this is not. We're not talking about being 35 to 40 minutes outside a big city where people are buying up land left and right. Uh, it's the same here. The prices you mentioned for land are typical land prices around here as well. Uh, uh, now here's here's the thing, Matt. That 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 I have learned, and, and one of the things that, and you and I talked about this at length many, many times, is that you have to know who your buyer is. That's the big key, because then if you know who you want your buyer to be, then you can tailor your property to that buyer. For example, yes, I knew that my buyer was not going to be the person who wanted to do it all themselves from scratch. I knew that my buyer was going to be someone who was a successful business person. Again, I don't want to divulge too much for the privacy yeah, yeah. of the buyers, but, but I can give the type person. My buyer was going to be a successful business person, male or female, someone who loved the outdoors, someone who didn't have the time to do everything that we did, but, he, but they definitely have the money, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. and that their family – 
they that would that they that they would enjoy all the recreational opportunities, not just the hunting and not just the fishing. And so I I I knew that it was going to take a special buyer. It was not going to be that person who wants to buy that value land for a thousand dollars an acre and then turn it into something for themselves. It wasn't going to be the value buyer. It was going to be the buyer that goes out and buys the Lexus or the Mercedes or whatever, not the, you know, the four-year-old used car. Yeah. I'm not putting down a four-year-old used car at all. No, no, no. At all. At all. And, and here's, I, I, you know. It, with, it, it, you have to know your buyer. You have to know your yeah. buyer. With That's all this first being step. said, I think it's important to say, too, that your your example is a property that's okay 560 acres this this is what we're talking about can be replicated on 80 acres it can be replicated oh, on 200 acres we're absolutely, just this yes. this just happens to be a larger property and so you don't yes. have to this is not a let's just say this is not a a money or a status thing at all it's just looking at each piece of land individually and saying Right. Who's the end buyer consumer for this? And let's let's before it ever hits the market, let's manage it and and add value to the property for that buyer instead Correct. of just throwing it on the market and finding out who the buyer is. They might come quickly or they might come a year from now because it just is a piece of land that's just available now. It's not exactly thought of. It's not a process right. and it's not your other 250 acres that again is just a piece of land this is a 250 acre parcel that is developed for this type of person and i'll say right. this with internet and the way marketing works and everything if you have a property let's say like yours or that's done like a perfected 80 acres that person is out there you can yes. find them or they will find yes. it but yes. it just has to be done right and i think that all the other just let's say typical rural land pieces, raw land, that's why they're all marketed the same way because that's the only way to attract them to right. attract the buyers right. to them is hey, there's hunting opportunities, deer turkey, small game, or marketable timber or small pond. Like those are just the things that you get tagged on on a on a listing like that. Whereas a really nice 80 acre piece that's maintained, managed, and let's say marketed for a specific type of buyer that you know would be interested. They could say something like improved habitat across the whole property. XXX has been done. We've got X amount of value left in standing timber should be harvested at this point. We've got a recreational, um, lake or pond on the property it's been stocked here's the stocking rate here's some pictures um here's this fish structure that's been in it uh it's managed for uh trophy bass uh you know not just high catch rates or whatever but if you just plan ahead and do these things you can then have that let's say response when it hits the market like you experience this summer right yeah, and I didn't in any way, shape, or form mean to sound like I only think you can do this with high price no, properties. No, no. Absolutely yeah. not. No. What I was trying to the point that I was trying to get across is you have to know your buyer. Bingo. You have to know your buyer. In other words, if you remember, even a year before we put this on the market, I talked about the person that would buy this farm. 
Yes. So we knew what we had to do to make sure that we attracted the buyer that's appropriate for that farm. Mm -hmm. Now, and even when I said the comment about, you know, the four-year-old used car, I wasn't in any way, shape, or form saying that's a bad thing. And I wasn't saying that having 80 acres and selling it it, for to that buyer is a bad thing. But what I am saying is this, if you are going to sell a piece of property, you need to know who it's being marketed to and what your competition is. Mm -hmm. And you need to make sure that property is you've, you've developed it in such a way that attracts that buyer. Yes. And that's the key. You have to know what, because if, if you think about it, most real estate, and you, you've already talked a lot about it on this podcast, they're just listed on the internet. They look at average prices of everything else around there, and they don't even know who their buyer is. They just know it's somebody that wants to hunt or somebody yeah. wants to fish or own some land. I think you have to be a little more specific. I think you have to somewhat target, okay, with this 50 acres that I own, who can afford this? Who cannot afford this? Who, what kind of buyer do I want to attract? And then build your property around that goal. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to, we can get into some of those things that that we can do to all properties, including really big ones, really small ones, fancy ones, not fancy ones. There are certain things that I think all of them have to have if you really want to stand out over and above everybody else. Absolutely. Because turnkey is a way overused term. Yes. It's way overused. It's on every you know, big bucks, turnkey, this, this, everybody says it, but it's another thing to have it, to truly have what's called turnkey. And you can make an 80 acre property to use your example, that's worth a thousand dollars an acre and you can make it turnkey. Oh, totally. hundred percent. And you can get full value out of that for whatever your value in your area is and make a make another family very happy or you can take a thousand acre track that goes for three thousand an acre and screw it up (laughs) and 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 say it's turnkey but you can't sell it because it's really not a truly recreational property i will say this that if you do have a large track and are trying to get big money for it it needs to be a fully recreational property not just a hunting property because in yes. that particular yes. case, yes. it has to be good for the whole family, not just the hunter of the family. You bring up a really it, good point there, Todd. Really good point. I think a lot of times, a lot of this turnkey stuff, um, I, let's just say we're, you're a family person. Ab and I, we are, we are family. But we're family people. We want, and a lot of people, let's say clients who hire us, very family oriented they want this experience and this purchase to be a part of their family that lasts and and brings enjoyment to the family and let's just be honest a lot of hunting and let's break down whitetail hunting it's a very independent thing you know we got to reduce our scent we've got to um limit the amount of time we're in the woods, no trail riding, no doing this at this time of the year. Like it's a very restrictive thing, but the prop, a property can offer more than just that. And yeah. I think a lot of times the way a property is marketed and set up will drastically limit that, let's say overall family experience right. and the How boring is that? opportunities. How boring is that for a 14 year old kid? Man. They can't even go out on their property and enjoy it. Yeah. And, 
no and, doubt. And, and by the way, I still want to do a podcast on this, and you know how my feelings on this, that you can spend time on your property, a lot of time on your property, and enjoy your property and not spook all the deer off. But that's oh, another issue. Totally, that's totally. another podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, so what about some of the things that, that, that you can do or you should do to your property that make it more or stand out versus your competition? your area yeah there's a there's a lot of let's say key components and for for me i'll just speak on our portion of the country is some sort of timber management that that's not the the thing that's going to change a property drastically but that's let's just start talking there timber management every property around us has timber on it but it's a massive resource um and if every property has it and one property has managed timber and all the other ones don't because that's the vast majority of southwest missouri tennessee kentucky indiana whatever no one hardly ever manages their timber so if right out of the gate something that you should already be doing on your property if you're managing it for wildlife and for the promotion of various game species right out of the gate boom the pictures, the the, the uh, description, the write-up, everything can highlight managed timber. And don't yes. be afraid at all if you are selling a property ahead of time to get an evaluation of the, uh, the standing timber value on that property. People want to know and can't quantify uh, the board foot a value of timber that's on a property. But if you have that figure available for them, they automatically know, if you will, that's, let's say, quote-unquote, equity into the property that, boom, they've got it right there. Whereas and, no other property is doing that. That's right. And here's the thing, and you've heard me say it even on this podcast. If I had it to do over again, I would have worked with my timber and old fields long before I worked with my food plots yes. from, from a wildlife perspective. Yeah. And, and if your market is the hunting market, then it, it, managing the timber will dramatically make the, the, the food for the deer, the, the, the security and safety for the deer and turkey and other wildlife species. And, all, and it's all positive. And guess what? It's inexpensive. Yes. And or you can actually make money at it. Now, in my property, as you know, I didn't have a lot of marketable timber. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can take a chainsaw and either girdle the trees or cut some trees or hack and squirt some trees. And I'm not going to get into what's the best method or whatever, but you can take an unmanaged stand of timber and do that. And within a year, you can have a whitetail paradise. You can do and some it, awesome stuff quickly. And it doesn't cost you anything except a little bit of time, yep. effort, and maybe you have to go buy a chainsaw. Maybe you have to go buy a pair of chaps and, 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 and some fuel. But it doesn't cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to do timber management. And if you have marketable timber, you put money in you your can, pocket. Yeah, you can put money in your pocket. Yes. And so that is absolutely one of the key features to a really truly great hunting and wildlife property is 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 managing the timber. And then you can also do it aesthetically pleasing. I mean, like for example, it, and as you know, around our house. I tried to make the area around the house, the you know the the part that you see from the road in the house, very pretty. Mm-hmm. 
it wasn't managed for wildlife. You know, that 20 to 30 acres right around the house and the pond and whatever, it wasn't managed for wildlife. It was managed for view. View but and, when and you, for other recreational opportunities. Yeah, yeah. But then when you go into the interior of the property, manage it for wildlife. Manage it for income. Mm-hmm. Do those things that someone who appreciates that will pay for that. Absolutely. I agree. Managing your timber is a key. Um, road systems. Matt, you and I have talked about this before, is most people want a good road system. And it doesn't – I'm not talking about it. It doesn't have to be gravel roads. It doesn't have to be paved roads. None of mine are. Um, I don't have – there's not a paved road anywhere on my farm. Gravel is – and the only gravel is going to the barn and to the house. Everything else is just regular dirt, you know, roads. You can – Matt, you can go out and rent a track loader. You know, little skid steer uh-huh. with tracks and a and a and a a, a a brush hog or a mulcher and a blade, and you can create some really nice four wheeler trails and even some some uh, you know four, uh, truck trails. Yep. On our farm, we had ten and a half miles of trails. Yep. And I created probably seven of those miles with a track loader. Yeah. And you don't have to own one; you can rent one. Oh, totally, totally. The first year and a half, I rented one. Uh huh. And, and you don't have to buy this $70,000 piece of equipment. You can rent one for several hundred dollars a week Yes. and and go out and, and, and make a good trail system. It doesn't have to be 10 miles because that was a 560-acre farm. But if you have an 80-acre farm, you can squeeze a couple miles of trails through an 80-acre farm. Yep. And if you strategically locate it for hunting purposes – then it improves your hunting as well. Because think about this, from a recreational standpoint, a good road system is great for hiking, mountain biking, side-by-side riding, and hunting, and, and hunting access. And managing that farm from firebreak situation much easier. And I yes. think a, a lot of a lot of this, a lot of the talk is, okay, let's create something that people just haven't seen before. When I say that is, again, go back to scrolling through the internet. All these properties mm-hmm. have all these same features. which is what we talked, to, mm-hmm. talked about at the very beginning. They all have timber. They have a little bit of an opening. They all have mm-hmm. really skinny, narrow food plots along the timbered edges, or there was a, um, a small field. They're, they're trying to convert into a food plot. <clears throat> all these properties have that. To, to some degree within every region that's out there. But what properties are showcasing, hey, here is the open canopy, here is the expression of vegetation that's on the ground for all these wildlife species. What properties are showing successful, um, completed, prescribed fires on, on properties, showing stuff that's actively managed? And I think for your case, Todd, and, and your buyer is – the property came up automatically, boom, it looks super special, it's marketed well, it's great write-ups, it's got a plan, it's got a direction, there's been success already on the property from the wildlife that are there, the trail cameras, everything. That's all, That's all. wow, great, honestly, I love it. But when when your buyer got there to the property itself, he was, and, and he is a experienced great hunter like he this is not his first rodeo he spent a lot of time in the woods so he much better hunter than me oh he's (laughs) much better hunter than me i mean he's killed bigger deer than i ever have right 
So he knows what he what he wants to see on a property. And many of these other people, again, who's your buyer? He's an outdoorsman. But don't give that outdoorsman the same thing that they've always looked at. If you want them to be wowed, if you want them to be overwhelmed, if you want them to come in quickly and pay full price because that property is something that they haven't ever seen before. It doesn't matter if it's 80 acres or it's 150 acres or 1,000 acres. If they're the right buyer for that property and it's set up well and it has features and habitat on that property that's going to allow them to do what they want to do on the place and everything else that they look at online or everything else that they tour is never going to hold um, up to that property. Offer them something different. And I think that's right. That's right. I think he was – and honestly, the tour didn't last that long from what you're telling me, but he was overwhelmed by I've not – I've not been on scene, experienced a place like this before. Well, think about this. And QDMA really highlighted this, or the event we were there or that was at, at the farm here back in September. Really good hunters. Let, let's talk the hunting crowd for a moment because it really works well into that 80 acres or that 100 acres, or that 150 acres mm-hmm. that someone may be trying to sell or potentially sell someday. Is what it, true hunters know a couple things. True hunters know that you got to have good cover. Yep. True hunters know you have to have cover that equals food. You've got to have security. Security is what holds big deer, not your beautiful food plot. Now, I'm not against food plots, as you know, Matt and oh, I. Yeah. You know, we, 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 I put a lot I've of time and effort. Many conversation with, over food plots. Yeah, about food plot programs, and you need to have that. You need to have that incorporated. However, having, I think, I think the the perfect hunting property needs to have several components. Number one, it's got to have well-managed timber, which we've already talked about. We won't go back into that where there's lots of cover and food inside your timber. Remember, uh, an unmanaged piece of timber is probably getting about 150 to 150 pounds of food per deer per acre, or excuse me, per acre. And, and a deer needs 2,000 pounds of food per year to eat. So if you do the math, Unmanaged timber, it takes about 10 to 15 acres to manage one deer. Well, in a really good managed quality timber, you get as much as maybe 1,000. And if you include fire, you may get as much as 1,500 pounds per acre of food. Well, good quality hunters know this. So if you manage your timber and you use prescribed fire and you can show that to your buyer. So if you've got your farm, your 100 acres, let's say. And you've managed your timber to which producing a thousand to fifteen hundred pounds of food per acre plus a lot of cover. Then you go to the next step, old field management. Whatever your fields are, don't make them manicured to look beautiful as far as from a wildlife perspective. One of the great things that we did with our farm over the last couple of years, and you and Adam really helped me with this as well, is we turned uh, basically, 70% of the bottom land into nothing but old field habitat. Bottom Just land old and, and, field. and hillsides. Yeah. Uh, hillsides and that's right. And and we use prescribed fire, which by the way is not that difficult to do. Nope. If you're not experienced, don't do it, but if you have some experience, do it. If you don't, find someone who does. And we were able to create wonderful cover and bedding and food opportunities without spending a dime. 
Yep. And when I say dime, yeah, we had a few torches we did and, and some time, but it cost me very little money to manage 80 acres of old field habitat. Very little money. And then you've got your food plots. So you've got your old field habitat, you've got your managed timber, and you've got your food plots. If you just do those three things and truly have great old field habitat and use prescribed fire, have great managed timber, and have a decent food plot program, and that's all you ever do, you just made your property different than everybody else's. And if you can show that, and in your marketing, show on your marketing your pictures of your prescribed fire. Show your pictures or your videos of your prescribed fire. Show your pictures of what, what your bedding areas looked like in your timber before when it was open woods and before, then after. Before and afters. Yes, show enough. it. That is yes. the story. That is the yes. proof in the pudding that, oh, my gosh, that like that's a direct comparison of your property to, again, all the other ones that they've looked at for the last hour online. Show them that's the right. differences. Yes. They can't always see it without, you know, just being there on the property. But if you, again, just show them before and after, look at the active management that's actually occurring. Don't be afraid to, to please get a good agent. But you need to have this stuff explained in the marketing. You need to be able to have someone to represent your interest of not and have the knowledge to be able to talk about what's happened on the property. That is how you're going to be able to get the value out of the property, even if it's even if it's done and someone can't help explain it and help describe all that's occurred and that again added value to the property, they are not going to get that response of let's say full price offers they're going to try and work you down but again if it's something that has truly added value um, make sure that there's someone there to represent your side uh, and your interest to the most that it can be the best that it can be because you've put in sweat equity you put in hard work and your time and money into this it's it's time you get what you want and are looking to get out of it from the sale of that property and so you've got to You've got to shake up, let's just say, the market, throw something out there that people have never seen. It's going to take work. It's going to take elbow grease. But what we just talked about, Todd, and and what you've done the past couple of years on that property is the cheapest thing that you could do. It's not, again, this is not about, uh, let's just say, someone's income. You don't have to have huge income to be able to do this on a property. You just have to be able to think, wisely right. of what what are the resources there that I can manage differently and and how do I then market uh, that to the to the buyer that I know right. I've identified ahead of time that's right and if you think of the four things we've mentioned so far a road system using old field habitat manager timber and some food plots the only one of those that costs a lot of money is food plots and yeah. even those you can do you don't have to spend a lot of money on food plots and that's a totally other podcast as well. But, but as long as you're doing regenerative farming, following the soil health and, and using diversity and all that, we did, we haven't even used fertilizer on our food plots in over a year Yeah. and, and, and they were doing fine. Well, that's, again, that's a different podcast, but if you look at those four things we've talked about already, the road system, yeah, that can cost you a little bit of time, but you can rent the equipment. And, and do it yourself. And even if you don't do it yourself, I had a buddy of mine 
that had a bulldozer guy out for two days that made two roads spent less than a thousand dollars and he made two roads. Yeah. I had a bulldozer guy out in one area that I couldn't, it, my track loader wouldn't work. And I created a really nice three quarters of a mile trail up a hill of the side of the farm that I couldn't do with my track loader. And it happened to be when I got my track loader stuck trying to do it. <laughs> um, and it was $800. Yeah. yeah. That whole road cost me $800. Now, I'm not saying everyone has $800 just laying around, but if you're thinking about selling your farm someday or having it be different than someone else's, I think it's worth, if you have 100 acres, I think it's worth spending $1,000 to have a nice road through it or a 100%. few nice roads through it. That's money that's very, very well spent. Oldfield Habitat costs you nothing. Timber stand Improvement could put money in your pocket or at least doesn't cost you hardly anything. And you can do food plots on a budget. Mm-hmm. So you can you can do these things. Um, do you mind if we talk just a minute about a pond real quick? Not because not, most people, not. many not most people, but many people have water on their property. Yes. Okay. It's a, it's a huge feature um, yeah. that a lot of people look for. I sh- show yes. land all the time, and everyone's like, ah, I really want, That's I really right. want a nice pond on it. Well, let's right. let's try and find it. Now they they've all heard Lake Mickey stories and they've had yeah. several podcasts on. I'm not telling everyone has to go out there and do what I did with Lake Mickey, of course. But but there are some things you do on a budget. The first thing you need to do, if you have a pond on your property, make it special. You don't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to make a pond special, okay? And let's say you have a two acre pond on your property. And it's probably been there for 20 or 30 years, I'm just guessing, or more. It's probably got catfish in it, bluegill in it, stunted bass, and all these things. You could, and this is just an example. I'm not saying everyone wants to do this, but this is just an example. You could drain that pond, get rid of all the fish that are in it, get together some PVC pipes and things like this at Home Depot and hardware store. And for less than $5,000, put all kinds of habitat in that pond, make some great fishing spots. You could restock it for, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, if you could stock it phenomenal or you could stock it normally, but for less than $5,000, let the water fill back up. And within three years, you will have a very, if you manage it correctly, with the, you have the right species in there, get only compatible species that you can make that a trophy fishery for less than 10 or 15 or $20,000. You think, well, that's a lot of money. But one of the selling features of, of, of our farm, and again, I tell the story not to brag about Lake Mickey, but to tell what I'm talking about. Okay. Because, because we basically built this pond from scratch, we knew where every piece of structure was. When the buyer was there, I said, I bet I, when we were going around, I said, I bet I can throw a, uh, this raw, uh, this lure right there. And this was in the middle of the heat in the middle of the summer, two in the afternoon, and it was 90 degrees. And if anybody knows anything about bass fishing, you don't catch bass in the middle of the summer in a bright, sunny day when it's 90 degrees outside. You don't catch very many. Yeah, low percentage. Low percentage. First cast, three-pounder. Boom. That was not... You can create that in your own pond, but what you have to do is you have to get rid of the stunted fish. You have to get rid of the the competing species. You have to put a little bit of effort into putting some structure in, make some great fishing spots, and stock it correctly. For less than $10,000, I could convert a two-acre lake easy and make it a beautiful fishing spot to where you could do the same thing that I just said. And And I know that totally. So. So again, let's go back to this. All of a sudden now, you don't just have a pond. It's not just a you body know, of water. 
it's not a body of water. You can advertise it as a world-class fishing lake. And you can go out there and you can and you can do what I just did or just talked about. And 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 so what I'm what I'm trying to say is again, that's a resource. Manage it. It's no different than your timber. It's no different than your old field. It's no different than your food plots. If you're just sitting there fishing out of this pond that's been there for 30 or 40 years, you're not managing it. So it's not bringing value to you over and above what everyone else is doing because guess what? No one else is managing their pond. No one. It's it's the very, very similar situation to much of the habitat across the country. Very little people are aggressive and actively doing something in terms of true habitat land management. Much of the properties, across, I don't care who, who they're listed by or however they're marketed, many of them still aren't doing like That's good right. quality management. You can see that represented in the photos. Just That's be right. very critical when you're looking through all these. You can tell that right off the bat. But and Matt, the pond, it even, it's a cut oh, above the rest. Uh, basically, yeah. what I'm saying is yeah. it doesn't take a lot to make a property stand out. You know, it doesn't Matt, take crazy amounts of, of money. It takes time and just being smart about where you spend that time right. and the resource. And let's talk about if you don't have $10,000 to, to manage a pond with. You can do it for nothing. It's this simple because every pond in America that's not been managed is overcrowded with fish. <laughs> yes, yes. So if you did nothing else, nothing else, there's two ways to approach this. And I know this isn't a pond you know, podcast, but it bears talking about how you can, quote unquote, manage. Mm-hmm. You could go out and get a cheap, cheap, which kills fish and kill all the fish in the pond. You think, why would I ever do that? Because you can't start over until you get rid of your problem. You're overcrowding a fish. And then you could easily – the state offers wonderfully cheap stocking programs, and you could stock it, restock it, and in two or three years, you'd have a wonderful fishery. You could easily, um, w- for very little cost, go out and cut some trees and, and create some – you can find some old piles of rocks around your farm, oh, yeah. and you can create habitat around the edges of your pond. Maybe you can't afford to drain it. Maybe you can't afford to – to to stock it with fancy fish or anything like that and even if you don't want to kill all your fish then at least get out all the fish you can Mm -hmm. you know catch and and get rid of all that overcrowding of fish and 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 make it special the problem is that a lot of these ponds have been there for so many years they have so much sludge on the bottom that it's hard to keep them managed properly so you know worst case scenarios you'd have to drain it but even then you can drain a pond and, and spend one day and get all that muck out of there with a bulldozer, again, for less than $1,000. Yep. And then rain will fill it back up. You could you could easily make a world-class fishery for under $5,000. And if you don't want to do that, just at least get rid of the fish that are in there. Because if you have a lot of old catfish, channel cats, bullhead cats, and you're, want a, and you're wanting a great bass fishery and it's got crappie and perch and all these other things in it as well, you're never going to have a great bass fishery because right. there's too much competition in there um, they're for competing for that food. Again, I won't, I won't belabor that, but my point is this. Manage your body of water. Yes. Make it special just like you manage your farm. And you can and, have your 100 acres with your two-acre pond, and you can make it really special yeah. for a little bit of money. Put, put a fishing pole in someone's hand and say, try it out when they're, when they're showing yeah, them around. Right. Let right. them see the value. Let them, like, say, get a taste of the value of, okay, this is – it's not just a picture. It's not just in a write-up. Like, 
I'm experiencing that this pond is, is different from other places I've fished or other farm yeah. ponds that I've fished in the past. Um, you know, there, there's a, there's a ton of things that we're talking about, but one, the, I guess the story is actively manage and offer things differently. Be very critical yes. of the things that are on the market. Um, identify buyers who, who's your intended person you, you want to manage this for, put in those key elements to the property, add them, and you'll get the value of the pro- out of the property that you're looking for. It takes, right. it takes a plan. It takes um, being wise, being critical, uh, again, of, of how you're spending your time and your resources, but it's right. certainly doable. And, and I, 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 as a real estate agent, I look at the market all the time. I'm like, just constantly seeing the same stuff over and over and over again. And I think a lot of times people just end up purchasing a, a property just solely based on location because they could have bought a property 20 minutes north. Well, it's the same dang thing. It just, what it's just, they're buying the determining factor ends up being the convenience of the that's location, right. not the actual key components of the property that's going to allow them to do what they want to do in the property. And sometimes it's just, right. it's a little frustrating because it's like, you know, I want, I want you to get the most out of your land and don't just settle for that's something right. that's on the market. Really look for what it is you want. And if it's not offered, yeah, then you are going to have to go out there and, and, purchase a place and do it yourself but people who are busy who have careers who have families they know and realize ahead of time that it takes time in years to be able to develop those pl- properties into what right. they want them and i i think people often underestimate the fact that people aren't they think that people aren't willing to pay that extra for those properties and they are That's right. If it's truly done well, they are and will pay right. for that. And there's a few things, Matt, that people should spend money on. Yes. That, 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 for example, so many properties out there are being marketed as hunting properties and things like this. But the, the house, the, the, it, the pipe squeak, the, 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 doesn't, the toilets don't flush property. It doesn't have a good sewer system. The electric doesn't work right, whatever, which is fine for a hunting camp for a bunch of guys to go out for a week. But if you're trying to sell your property and get a, and get a decent price for it over and above everyone else's property around you, no, no family is going to want to be there if that's the situation. Yeah. So I think a good uh, – if your property has a house, I'm not saying all of them do. You don't have to have a house on your property. Many properties don't have them. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, great. Do these other things to separate your property. But let's say you do have a house. Well, if it if it is not something that a couple or a family or a wife or a husband would want to go spend a week there and enjoy it, then you need to do something. Spend a little money on that house. Make that something that a wife would be proud to go to or a husband. I'm not trying to be sexist here, but right, right. generally speaking, it's the wife that, that, that is more interested in the house. If, if you say, well, I bought it as a hunting camp and I'm selling as a hunting camp, well, guess what? Everybody else around you is selling theirs as a hunting camp and their you know, houses. Spend an extra – you know, do what if, – again, if you're trying to sell it, you can probably get that extra thirty or forty or $50,000 for your property or – at least get it sold faster 
if you'll put some sweat equity into your home, repaint it, put some, you know, better pipes in it. And it, you don't have to make it a Taj Mahal. Just make it comfortable for a family to stay there and enjoy being there. Not something that after three days, everybody's like, I'm tired of these toilets and no running water and this and this and this and that. Yeah. That's yeah. money well spent. That's that is money well spent. hundred percent. And I will say this, you are more likely to have a wife be open to spending an extra, let's say thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 on a property for more, let's say improved living conditions versus an extra 20 or 30 acres on a place Absolutely. because it adds value to the family. And that Absolutely. is what we want to do is bring the family out here to be able to enjoy it. So there, that's a, a, a huge plus. Um, you know, Todd, we're, we're coming up here right at an hour. And, we are. Um, yeah, we are. You know, I, I want to summarize it real quick. And, and I know we, we've kind of come back to these similar points. But um, if you got anything else, feel free to add it in. But. Guys, the, the, the biggest thing is if you find yourself in the situation of owning land down the road, you, you want to treat it right, you want to manage it, you know that you're not going to hold on to it forever, be very critical of the steps that you take and obviously the money that you put into the property. Think ahead down the road of is this going to get me the value that I want out of it? Maybe you're maybe you're stepping up into uh, wanting to uh, buy a bigger farm. So if you can sell this 80 um, acre parcel for more money, then you could maybe step up and get a 250 acre property instead of maybe that 150 acre range. If you do the right steps each and every time you own a property, and right. be very critical where you're spending your money. Be very critical of what your property looks like when it's marketed. I think that is a key component. There's there's tons of people, a lot of a lot of agents out there, and a lot of times real estate or, or, or anybody who has land or a house, whatever it may be, we all know real estate agents. You know, everyone's friends with a real estate agent. But find someone who's going to take a hold of that property and really give it its best go. If you're trying to to, to have the, the top property out of the other, let's say, 15 in the area that are in that price range or, or in that acreage range and you want to look the best, make sure you've got that agent who's going to represent it the best too. That's a key component into getting the most out of the property. Someone who's knowledgeable, educated in that specific area. Um, and then do the, do the things to the farm that is not just so narrow focused on promotion of a single species, let's say right. deer, or let's just say right. strictly waterfowl. That's right. These properties and need to be wider reaching because you're going to get a bigger target and more enjoyment out of it. And so if you can do that and offer that on properties, people are going to be able to or more willing to pay for additional opportunities on properties versus just a single species promotion. It's not every property is a deer property. Not every property is a turkey property or not every property is you're going to catch this big fish on it, but look for well-rounded management, well-rounded recreational opportunities. Let that be a guiding kind of source for how to market a property, get the most out of it. 
Yeah, I think I think Matt, whether you have 80 acres, 150 acres, or 10,000 acres, I think it, from my perspective, is the keys are have a good road system. And when I say good, it doesn't have to be manicured. Just right. You know, the kids can get out and ride a four wheeler or enjoy it. That that the adds bike recreation. Can walk the roads, Hike, without yes. Limbs smacking her in the face. Yes. Right, and and easily accessible both for hunting and recreation because that that's both for recreation and hunting. Two, manage your timber. We've already talked about it. Manage your old fields on hillsides. That we've already talked about it. Have a decent food plot program. You don't have to spend a lot of money. If you have water or pond, manage your pond. If you have a home on it, make your home better than the next property's home. And then, um, and and then you you really can say turnkey because then you've now you've separated your property from someone else's. That's the key. Mm-hmm. And 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 from my perspective, is make sure that yours has all the things the other ones doesn't have. Exactly. And make you don't sure have to spend a ton checks, of money. Make sure it checks more boxes than anybody else's. Yes. And and we talked about finding that good agent, but make sure you as a as a seller, you spend time perusing the market. Make sure you know what's out there. Make sure you know yes. what's comparable. And and be very critical when yours does get listed of how it looks. Because oh, that, everybody, that's critical, Matt. Yeah, everybody that's looks online for properties. Whether whether that's they're right. local, no one looks in magazines anymore. Everyone looks online to see how something is presented. They could be out of state, they're coming to the area, whatever it may be. Look to see how it's presented. And if it looks like all the others, there's something yep. wrong with that. Even, I would say this, even if, even if you haven't managed the property itself, your agent still should be making it, I don't want to say appear any different than it was or, or, or right. is, but a lot, of, a lot of photos, let's just say, aren't good photos. And, and they're That's just right. taken of, of random places that just don't even matter. But well, let's, Matt, I know we're at the end, but let's talk yeah. about this that just for a real quick second because mm-hmm. that's a key point. It's very if you cool. remember, if you remember two things, you mentioned a good agent. Make sure if you do, let's let's use this example. If you do the roads, the old field management, the timber management, da 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 da. Make sure your agent knows that and understands that and markets that. Mm-hmm. In other words, don't just do it and then have an agent go out and not not understand it and tell everybody about it. Okay. One of the things that I had to do with my agent, and you remember me doing this, is when I first saw the pictures that they took, because I was out of town when they took the pictures. I made, I said, no, 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 you're not, you're not showing my farm. You're, you're thinking traditionally. Yes. You need. That's not what you need to show. And I gave them a whole different batch of pictures. What sold the farm? In other words, the realtor at that moment who who did. By the way, you all are part of that as well. I'm not. I'm not. Because, but because you weren't licensed in Ohio. Yeah. You couldn't, you know. I don't. I don't want anyone to think that uh, uh, I was going outside of using you guys because you guys were an inter- integral part of this. But your license wasn't in Ohio, so I, we had to get an Ohio agent. Well, the Ohio agent didn't quite understand how to market our farm at first from a picture perspective. Did a great job every other thing, but you know. But so make sure that your agent understands what you're selling and how to present it, both pictorially. And verbally, yes, that's really, really important. It's it's super important because that right there is the determining factor if someone's going to get in the car or hop on a plane and make it's spend the initial money just to even come and see it. And if you wow them at every single step 
every interaction that they have with that property from its first view, um, you know, of looking online to reading to getting on the property and seeing exactly what they saw in the pictures. You have to, you have to wow them. That's what's going to get you again that response from an offer that you're looking for um, every step of the way. And please, 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 please make sure that there's an aerial map on the property or on the listing that has boundaries marked. It's amazing to me yes. how many yes. don't have pictures of aerial you know, aerial images, images with uh, boundaries clearly marked on it. You've got to be able to, to see that uh, if you're an interested buyer. Yeah. That's the first thing that you should be interested in. What does this property look like? Where are my boundaries? Um, so make sure you have that. That's yeah. just simple. But and let me let me mention one other thing, Matt. Yep. Entry, entry. If you if you remember, my farm is set up for wildlife. So for wildlife, manicured fescue grass is not good for wildlife. Mm -hmm. But I always made sure no one ever came into my farm until I mowed one uh, bat wing mower width on both sides of my entryway. I kept it manicuredly mowed. Yep. Literally ten feet wide on each side. And then what was beyond that was old field and crops and things like that. But that entryway going up to my, to the barn and to the farm was always mowed. Every step. Literally of the way. ten feet wide. Yep. Ten feet wide. And every, my pond was always mowed. Every impression let, should be. Right. Every first yep. impression should be one of importance. Wow them at right. every step of the way. Right. So spend a little bit of time on your entryway to your farm, whether it's fancy or not fancy. But if it looks ugly, the turn on the road, you could, everyone can take a little bit of time and effort with either a mower or a chainsaw or something and make the entryway to their farm look better than it already does. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And yeah. Okay. Rusty, That's all rusty I got. gates don't always do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, Todd, I really appreciate you jumping on. We, we've covered some of this stuff, I think, in the past, but we wanted to get you on to be able to provide a real-life example of, guys, this isn't just Adam and I talking over the phone of, yeah, we really like land, we really like, you know, doing habitat management. Um, you know, this is, this is let's say, uh, the proof is in the pudding. Here, here's a perfect example of, this is, came into a property, worked with a landowner, added value in the right places and then saw the direct result of that from buyers eyes lighting up and then offers yep. and closing and everything this stuff can work and it will happen so if you're in a position where you 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 want to sell and you want to get the most out of a property let us know we'd love to be able to help you guys you can reach us at info at landlegacy.tv um, this is this is what we're passionate about and so, Todd, I appreciate your time to be able to come on, and regardless let, of let it me being bittersweet or not, you know, you, you've got let a me lot do the insight. commercial. I got to <laughs> no, do the commercial. No, no, <laughs> no. I got to do the commercial. Oh, lordy! I honestly have to say that I would not have sold my farm as quick and for the money I got if I had not gotten you and Adam involved two years ago, or however long. I don't remember how long ago it was, but the the the, the habitat work we did after you all got involved took my farm from one level to the next level. And it was not only was it seen by the QDMA staff, but by the QDMA participants in that event, as well as my buyer. Mm -hmm. And so 
I would encourage anyone out there that's listening to this, if you may want to think about hiring Adam and Matt, I'm not even saying, I'm not talking about real as a real estate agent. I'm talking about to help manage your property for both either your benefit or future sale because they know what they're doing and they'll do a fantastic job and they will. And, and you all did not tell me to say this, but I feel like I have to say it, that I think that was an integral part of me getting the value for my farm is the changes we made to it from a habitat perspective over the last two years. Yep. There you go. Enough of me. I'm out. <laughs> Todd, appreciate your time and your, uh, and your infomercial. <laughs> no, I, I re- we really do appreciate, uh, appreciate you and, and, and your time today and uh, the friendship that we've been able to develop through working with you. And I think that's, that's the, it goes back to the, the, let's say the family aspect of things. Yeah. Your proper man, you, you have, you had lofty goals with, with the bass pond and the, the hunting side of things, but the, the friendships, the relationships that are able to develop around land and properties like this, um, it's just so special. And, and, and that's, that's super important to, to Adam and I as well and, and land and legacy. So um, appreciate you being a part of that. And guys, we appreciate you for listening and following along. If we can help you, let us know. If you have any questions, please reach out. Follow us along on Instagram and Facebook, as well as YouTube. We got some new videos dropping, guy. That's it's the heart of deer season. We're in the middle of October right now, and um, got some awesome weather coming. The deer are stacking into the property, and it's super encouraging to get some uh, images sent every morning and evening because time is coming. Will where we will be in the woods a lot here, uh, late October, early November, and hopefully finding success and be sure to check out the other podcast that's going to drop this week a lot of cool updates from hunting season on that one as well appreciate it, guys we will catch you next week yep.